Good morning. This, uh, this morning's sermon was written by Pastor Wayne Eichstead. It's uh, particularly uh, topical now. We have uh, war and violent riots overnight even. So um, our message this morning is about good and evil are at war. Only one will live. Our text comes from Romans chapter 12. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In Jesus Christ, dear fellow redeemed. In the old Western movies, the battles are clear cut. The good guys wear white hats, the bad guys wear black, and good always triumphed over evil. It was movie fiction. Reality is seldom that simple. Reality tells us that there is a battle between good and evil. The reality of that battle is in ourselves when we see with the Apostle Paul the good that we want to do is what we don't do. And the evil that we don't want to do is the very thing we keep doing. The reality of that battle is also evident in the world around us. As we observe the evil in the world, we notice that it isn't always painted in black so that it's easy for everyone to see. We cringe to see many embrace evil as a friend instead of fleeing from it as an enemy. These realities of sin are what the hymn writer describes as being tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears, within, without. Good and evil are at war. They will continue to do battle on many fronts for as long as this earth exists. Each will lose some of those battles and each will win some. But in the end, only one will win the final victory and the war. There is no question as to which of these two opponents we want to win in our personal lives as well as for others. Today we consider how the Lord guides us to victory. To each of his children he says, one, overcome evil in yourself, and two, overcome evil in the world. We ask for the Spirit's blessing on our meditation. When Paul wrote his letter to Rome, he was writing to Christians who lived in a society that was shamefully similar to our own. The Roman Empire ruled the world and its citizens uh, enjoyed luxurious prosperity, but the internal decay of of a godless sort was already evident and would ultimately bring the empire's collapse. The Christians found themselves in the middle of this decaying society. 
Like waves in the ocean gradually eroding away the beaches of an island, Paul well understood the dangers for a child of God being surrounded by the world's wickedness. To the Christians, Paul wrote, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer it. Our text is a slice out of a larger section in which Paul gives instruction concerning how to live God-pleasing Christian lives to conquer evil. He begins the larger section by saying, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Very importantly, notice how Paul, before he even speaks about presenting your body as a living sacrifice, begins by saying how to do it, by the mercies of God. A successful campaign against evil has to begin and end with God's mercy, because apart from it, we are just evil, born in sin, dead in sin, lost in sin. By God's grace and mercy, the battle against sin and evil has already been fought and won. Jesus did everything that was necessary to conquer sin, death, and the devil when he died on the cross. Before dying, he declared, It stands finished for all time. The battle has been won. And then he sealed the victory when he rose from the grave Easter morning. The victory that Jesus won over sin comes to each of us personally through faith. The victory of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit gave to us when he created faith in our hearts is ours just as surely as it is Christ's. Through Christ, you have already overcome sin and every evil. Overcoming evil in yourself is not a question of how to accomplish victory. Rather, it is how do we apply that victory to our lives? How do we put this victory that Christ won in action as we daily conquer our sinful nature that continues to live within us? Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Verse 16. Paul's con concern was to maintain peace and unity in the Roman congregation. To that end, he encouraged them to regard one another in the same way as to maintain a unity in their purpose, their faith, and their Christian concern for one another. In his warnings against what they should not do, Paul reveals what lurks in the heart of every sinner. Human arrogance goes its own way and sets its own mind on proud things and its own goodness. The pride of our natures always knows best and will gladly exalt itself over anything or anyone who says otherwise. The self-wisdom that we by nature follow seeks to serve its only itself. The more our sinful self gains the upper hand, the greater role pride, selfishness, and self-indulgence will play in our lives. Under these conditions, being of one mind toward one another becomes impossible. Dissension and strife arise. The mind that is wise to its own eyes is left unchecked and will not stop will stop at nothing to serve its own end and fulfill its own desire 
The solution that Paul offers is, do not set your mind on the high things of human arrogance, but instead associate with the humble. If we are wise in our own opinion and turn to that wisdom for everything we do, sin will be the result. But it is hard to be wise in one's own opinion when we associate with humility and remember that we are only dust. We will overcome the evils of our sinful pride and lusts when we dwell in God's wisdom and remember the mercies of God who has freely given so much. Proverbs tells us, Do not be wise in your own eyes, for fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be, he- be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Another villain that is in each of us is waiting to exploit an opportunity to work evil is anger. God's wisdom in Proverbs tells us a wise man's fears and depart. A wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. And in James, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. But you say, ah, but I don't get mad. I get even. Grudges, silent treatment, and revenge of any kind are all fruits of anger. Vengeance is nothing more than a lasting anger put into action. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to your wrath, place to wrath, for it stands written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, in verse 19. When anger rises within us, we could feed the fire of that anger and let it grow with the potential to consume us with bitterness and hatred, until it bursts out in some kind of revenge. God says, don't give a place to that anger and put it away before you can grow and accomplish some evil. Again, the way to overcome this evil is to remember the mercies of God. Oh, how disaster it would be if God were to hold his anger against us because of our sins. Rather, he is forgiving. He is a forgiving father who by his mercy through the redemption of Jesus Christ washes our sins away so that there is no need for anger. We call to mind Jesus' parable of the unforgiving servant whose huge debt was removed but was so ungrateful that he refused to even dismiss the small debt of his fellow servant. No matter that someone might, no matter what someone might do against us, and no matter how wrong that person might be, there's simply no room for revenge in the heart that rejoices in the complete forgiveness of God. God has made revenge completely unnecessary. There is no need to get even for some earthly advantages because God promises to take care of your earthly needs. And as far as earthly fame, glory, and wealth are concerned, they aren't really true treasures at all. When Joseph's brothers feared his revenge for selling him into slavery, he told them, Do not be afraid, for I, for am I in the place of God? 
But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Nor is there any need to, quote, get even so that justice be served. Wickedness will go on forever without consequence, but the consequence it receives is God's to decide. God will see that through the normal see to that through the normal processes of his representatives, the authorities on earth, or in other ways as he sees fit. Pride, sinful desires, anger are all part of our natural selves that produce the evil in our lives that we wish to overcome. There are other parts of our sinful selves and weaknesses that produce other sins in our lives. Each of us knows these faults within us, and we begin to forget what they look like. We need to look in the mirror of God's law. Don't be overcome by evil in your sinful self, but overcome that evil with good. The only good that has and will continue to overcome evil is the mercifulness of God. Remember the mercies of God and what those mercies have accomplished. Not simply remembering what those mercies are, but remembering that they, what they mean to you personally, that Christ offered himself for your sin. Overcome evil in yourself by soaking your heart, soul, and mind in the gospel, having your sins washed away in the blood of, Jesus, of Christ through faith, applying that good news of salvation to every aspect of your life. In the second part, overcoming evil in ourselves by applying the gospel is only one thing, but there's still plenty of evil to go around in the world. Paul gives direction as to how to overcome that evil too. In our text, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, Live peaceably with all men. There are only, there's only so much we can do about the evil that surrounds us. We cannot convert the hearts of sinners, but we can preach the gospel, and that does the, has the power to convert. We can't stop our neighbor from doing evil against us, but we can curb the situation by not adding evil on top of evil. David provides an example of a God-pleasing approach to evil. King Saul became jealous of David and tried to take David's life. David, however, did not plot or revenge to seek to do evil against Saul. Instead, he repaid Saul's evil and continued to come and play the harp for Saul when an evil spirit troubled him. Later, when Saul was about to kill David, um, David would not kill God's anointed king, even though he had the opportunity to do so when Saul was hunting him. On the other hand, there is a modern example of displeasing, of a displeasing approach toward evil. Soon we will mark another anniversary of the Supreme Court decision to legalize abortion in our country. The legalized murder of babies is an unspeakable evil that is sadly considered a right. 
Over the years, some have sought to avenge these infant deaths by harming those who perform abortions and destroying the places where they work. Repaying evil for evil is not the way to overcome evil. Vengeance belongs to God. Exercising evil in return for evil only amplifies and promotes it. Though we cannot ourselves keep peace in the world, we can keep ourselves from becoming the center of the storm. To the extent that the events around us hinge on our words and actions, we can avoid adding to evil in the world by living peaceably with all people. There is a purpose to living peacefully, as much as it depends on us. It is the same purpose as Paul explains to Timothy. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men and for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and, and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth." Both living peaceably with all people and praying for those who are in authority on earth serve toward a quiet and peaceable life on earth. That peace is a blessing for the personal lives of God's children, and it also promotes an easier and wider spread of the gospel, which means more sinners can be brought to repentance and salvation in Christ, which will mean more individuals overcoming evil in their own lives, and by the mercies of God, which will serve to an even greater peace and more messengers to spread the gospel, which will call more and more sinners to salvation. So it snowballs from the beginning ever more souls, into, bringing ever more souls into God's kingdom, which is the desire and the goal of our gracious and merciful God. Our approach to evil in the world is part of our gospel witness to the world. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. In doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. If we repay evil with evil, we're no different from the world. If, however, we show good to those who do evil against us, their conscience will ignite. Then guilt and shame will burn within them. They may shut, out their, shut their conscience down and ignore it and continue in their wickedness and unbelief, or their guilty conscience may awaken in them guilt, and they may, like the jailer in Philippi, ask, what must I do to be saved? Then there is an open door for the gospel to work salvation. As we go about our daily lives, overcoming evil in the world by repaying evil with good, uh, we need to be careful that the coals of fire we seek to heap on the heads of others do not simply become another version of revenge. Our motive in dealing kindly with those who are evil against us is not to make them feel good and guilty about what they did, and that'll teach them. Rather, our motive is to open a door of opportunity through which we can present the Savior of sin, ours and theirs, and show them our show them our gracious conqueror over sin and death. 
There are many people who deplore the evil in the world and cry out about the need to overcome it. Overcoming the wickedness of the world is in our best interest as well, first for our work in spreading the gospel to others, but also for our own souls. We can come back to being that island surrounding, surrounded by this sinful world. Knowing our weakness, we sadly realize that the more those waves slosh against us, the greater the danger that part of that island will wash away. The more that sinfulness is flaunted in the world, the more callous to sin even believers become. Can any of us say that the misuse of God's name, murder, adultery, and other sinful acts in the world offend us as much as they once did? The many people who deplore the wickedness of the world are also engaged in trying to overcome it. Unfortunately, the majority are using the wrong weapon. When a common cold strikes the body, we can take medicine to ease the aches and the congestion, the coughing, the bottom and the coughing, but the bottom line is that the immune system destroy once the immune system destroys the virus or until the immune system destroys the virus, we are still sick. If those of us who work toward overcoming evil in the world do so by speaking against sin as it shows up in sinful actions, the only solution they suggest is somehow to curb those actions. Then they are only treating the symptoms and the virus lives on. Satan will be happy to have a drop in the abortion rate by means of birth control, just as long as the sinful desires and fornication live on without repentance. Satan will be quite willing to have a drop in the murder rate, just as long as self-promoting hatred thrives without stop. Satan will be glad to let prayers ring out throughout the land and even tolerate outbreaks of morality as long as those prayers are to a generic God and the morality is followed because of pressure or as a way to earn reward. The only way to truly make inroads in overcoming evil in the world is to treat the source which is sin. That treatment cannot be done without the full truth of God's word. We will be God's servants in overcoming evil in the world when we identify sin as the way God identifies it in his worth. When we warn against sin, rebuke it in the unbelieving world, and evangelically correct and restore Christian brothers and sisters who fall into it. We overcome evil when we proclaim God's denouncement of sin together with his pronouncement of grace and forgiveness through Christ. We will overcome evil when we proclaim whatever word from God an individual needs to hear and to show how God's mercy and grace and Christ's victory applies to them, including when we need to hear it. We overcome evil in the world by proclaiming the mercies of God. Why we need them, and what they are. Nothing else can do it. Remembering God's mercies for ourselves and proclaiming them to others will overcome evil 
but it will not create a utopia of perfection here on earth. Evil will continue, and the battle between good and evil in our life and faith will wage on. If the struggle stops, then sin has won. But as long as the struggle remains, we still are in the fight with our Lord on our side. And we will, in the end, overcome and win the entire war and celebrate victory in eternal life. In the world, Jesus says, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John 16:33 Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We'll continue with hymn 381 in the Lutheran hymnal.